everybody, and welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford. I write all about fitness, health, nutrition, outdoor adventure, and all that fun stuff when I'm not trying to actually get outside and do said outdoor adventures. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and this week we are down at the Ellen Noble Quest. Yeah, Ellen Noble Cyclocross Quest, which has 18 young women who all came to Western Mass to figure out how to crush it at cyclocross. And I'm going to add, like, these are not learning to ride girls. These are young women who are already freaking crushing it in cyclocross and just kind of want that, like, extra edge for this season. So look out, everybody. (laughs) Yeah, this is definitely training camp. So it's been very good. Yeah. Exciting times and exciting guest for us today. Um, we are obviously quite busy trying to, you know, get all this stuff done while we're at the camp. So we're going to keep this intro short and sweet. Today's guest is one of my absolute favorite guests and humans. Um, I think we've had him on this. I think this is only his second time on, but I talk to him all the time because I'm constantly bugging him for advice on both nutrition and training and also career because he's, you know, a writer that I very much admire. So today we have Matt Fitzgerald talking about his new book, The uh, 80-20 Triathlon Training Guide. Um, You know, for those of you who are familiar with Matt Fitzgerald, he also came on to talk about his last book, The Endurance Diet, um, I think last year now. Um, And then you might also know his name from The 80-20 Running Book. Mm-hmm. that he came out with, I mean, years ago now. The yeah. 80-20 method's been around for a really long time. Yeah, and I mean, people, the racing weight is probably one of his more Love popular. it. A Loved lot of people it. seem to know racing weight. Like, it's obviously when you can talk about someone getting down to racing weight and nutrition is always trendy and losing weight's even trendier. Uh, so I think that one did well for him. But we often refer to uh, brain training. Is that his? He's got brain training for brain runners. Training yep. for runners. And then how bad do you want it is also his. So he has two sort of... Mental sports psych mental training type books, and both of those are not like textbooky, right? Um, How bad do you want it? Is I think the more recent one, and it reads quite well. It's got a lot of case studies, which I really like. And I think for anyone who's trying to figure out, okay, well, what is this mental training? It's almost better sometimes to see this person was doing this, this was the problem they were having, and then this is sort of how they had this breakthrough. From a mental perspective, right? It's interesting to see training and stuff too, but this is, you know, sort of how the paradigms get shifted. And so that book is really, really cool. One of our favorites. And we've referenced that a few times over the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. So it was really fun kind of chatting with him today about this whole 80 20 thing, especially with regards to triathlon, because like it can be super confusing. So, Peter, can you kind of give like the like 30 second, what is 80 20 training? Well, we've had a few different podcasts and we'll link to all of Matt's books and we'll link to the podcasts that are sort of related if you do need to sort of or want to brush up on your 80-20 or polarized training uh, concepts. But if you recall back to who did we have on with 80-20? Polarized. Steven Seiler. So Steven Seiler. Who is, wrote the intro to this book, actually. So he's big on polarized training uh, and then did write the intro and, and is, commends Matt at sort of making these concepts more applicable and then also sort of easier to understand. Uh, we had Steve Neal talking, um, and he was more on the, if there, if there is a debate, he's more on that sort of middle ground training or tempo training. And then we had Mr. Sweet Spot, as I call him. Please stop calling him that. 
Um, Frank Overton. Frank Overton, who's I can never remember his name after I say Mr. Sweetspot. I could tell you his name anytime, but if I say Mr. Sweetspot, it scrambles my brain. So Frank is really good because he was sort of part of the development of Sweetspot training, which is sort of, again, the other side of the coin. It's sort of a middle ground intensity. It's not super hard. It's not race pace. It's sub race pace, I guess you could call it. Um, but you get a lot of work done because you're sort of working moderately for an extended period of time. So 80-20 training basically proposes the idea that 80% of your training should be done at a low intensity. And we talk about what low intensity is with Matt today. Uh, and then 20% should be at a high intensity. And we talk about the various ways that that can be described. But essentially, you could think about it you know, 80% of your training should be under maybe the breathing threshold, so where your breathing becomes noticeable. And then 20% you should be breathing quite heavily is essentially the idea. Um, and there's a lot of different concepts within that. You know, Steven Seiler was on and he talked about some of the different ways that we divide that up, right? Because it's not always evident. Heart rate has a leg time. Not every sport has power. Um, swimming know, is just kind of weird. Swimming <laughs> swims different for sure. How do you do that? Um, what's the other concept I'm thinking of? Um, oh, you know, do the recoveries count, you know, because when you start thinking about how much time that is, it's actually a lot of time to be breathing heavy, right? If you think about yeah. 10 hours a week, two hours of those weeks, you have to be breathing really heavy, right? So while it might be like, oh, this low intensity, this is too easy. Well, two hours of a week, you have to be really, really going hard. So there's a lot of concepts in there that it, it, this is more of an overarching, like seasonal approach to training. Um, and when you start talking three sports, as is the case with triathlon, there's a lot going on there, right? There's a lot of concepts and different ways that we apply it. Again, Molly mentioned swimming. You know, we don't obviously or usually use heart rate as much. So you have to get into your paces. And then running, you know, how are we monitoring running? Are you using pace? Well, what if you're on a hill? So there's a lot of different questions people have, right? And how do you even set the thresholds that determine that? So... Yeah, we get into all of that. <laughs> we do. So that's that's sort of what 80-20 is, is the same as the polarized sort of idea. And, and I think the other thing that's interesting in the triathlon application is that most triathlon is not like full gas racing. Totally. You know, you, I think most people would agree with me on that. It's not a short track race. It's not a mountain bike race where you're just going as hard as you can up a hill. I mean, a sprint would be, but... It is. There's certainly shorter, but that's not what most people think about. And certainly, if you say triathlon, what word do you think of? Ironman. I don't even want to talk about so it. So Ironman is a very moderate type of training. So we then get into this debate of, well, what about specificity, mm. right? So then that's we talk about, Matt, about you know periodization and planning your training to get more specific as you get closer to the event. Mm -hmm. um, but also the possibility that even going really hard over this triathlon race pace might be a good idea a lot of the season, right? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so there's lots of lots of really cool ideas there. And I think if nothing else, we also talked to Matt about a variety of subjects. Um, yeah, and before we get into that, I should also add that if you want to hear the entirety of this episode, you're going to have to head to wideanglepodium.com slash donate. Because it is the donor drive. We are in it. We are in it. We're, we're deep in it. This is the Wide Angle Podium Donor Drive. Yes. This is our podcast network. Yep. They're the ones that support us, support many of your favorite podcasts, The Slow Ride, CX Hairs, We Got to Hang Out, Bike yep. Shop CX. Yes. And so I mentioned this with Matt because we have one of our pieces of bonus content. So each show has a bunch of bonus content. And if you actually donate, you get bonus content from everybody. So one of ours 
is sort of a 15-minute interview with Matt Fitzgerald talking about his basic nutrition principles that he talks about in Racing Weight and the Endurance Diet and sort of what he thinks is like the most important things that you need to know. Which is, he has a lot of things to say about that because racing the original Racing Weight, we're talking probably 20 years worth of researching books related yeah. to nutrition. It's a really, really good, I mean, it's short, but there's so much information packed into it. So I highly recommend that piece of bonus content. And to get to it, you have to donate. Um, so anyway, Wide Angle Podium Network keeps us on the air. Um, what's, you know, the, what's the address for that Wide Angle Podium if someone wanted to donate? WideAnglePodium.com slash donate. And what do they get if they do that in these two weeks of donor drive? In these two weeks? This is a time-limited offer. Yeah, till August 31st. Uh, there's a bunch of bonus content from all of the different shows. We've got some PDFs. We've got some extra episodes. There are aero race pins. There's some t-shirts. There's some other swag. There's tons of good stuff. You can do it for, you can do a recurring one that's only five bucks a month or, you know, 20 bucks a month if you're feeling frisky. Um, we'll, we'll take it. Uh, you know, more, more is always better. But you can also now do a one-time donation that still counts towards you getting the bonus content. It used to be that if you did a one-time donation, no bonus content for you. But now, boom, bonus content. So mm. every little bit helps. Like I said, it really helps us keep the, you know, this show going and, you know, get new microphones when we accidentally smash ours when we're driving, which, you know, may or may not happen with startling frequency. Well, and I think ultimately, like, I, I think back to that CX Harris episode I've now m mentioned about 15 oh my times, gosh. right? And this was now probably two or three weeks ago, three episodes ago. Who were on these shows? I can never remember names. Matthew Vanderpool. So this guy won some world championships. Yeah, he's pretty good. Right. And Christopher Blevins? Yeah, Blevins was on there. Younger guy, very successful, one of the most talented bike riders in North America, if not the world, just in how much he can do on a bicycle. And that interview was tremendous. And even with all my experience as a bicycle racer, rider, and coach, like there was takeaways in there that definitely are worth $5 a month just for that one episode. Did you go and donate to CX Hairs and not to us, 100%, Peter? 100%. Nah. I tried to just send it to that guy and just <laughs> just one of Her them. Blevins, you Blevins, seem like you need five bucks. Blevins, are you hungry? <laughs> okay, well... Let's uh, let's get into this episode before you start like making him a sandwich to mail. I don't even know where we'd mail it. I don't know where Blevins lives. Okay. Anyway, enjoy I this. I should have listened because it tells you in the episode. Oh jeez. Enjoy this episode with Matt Fitzgerald, everybody. I saw something on Twitter where you were doing some kind of crazy running thing, and I'm blanking on what it was. <laughs> there were two last year, and that's what those two books I referenced are about. So yeah, I did. Um, I ran eight marathons in eight weeks last spring, um, just all all over the country, and so that was that was one deal. And then I spent the summer in Flagstaff training with a professional running team. Um, you know, just as this middle aged guy who <laughs> never never been a professional runner, uh, just kind of threw myself to the wolves and saw what it would do for me uh, to kind of live the entire elite lifestyle oh cool it was cool uh, oh and i remembered it was like two weeks ago you you had tweeted something about running 100 miles in a week all slow if that's what it takes did you oh, end yeah, up yeah. doing that well you know the the reason i i have that i mean i it's funny because 
I think half the people or some of the people who saw that tweet assumed like I've never run more than 40 miles in a week or something. Right. I've, I've been into the nineties before, you know, and that, and always with a fair amount of intensity. Um, but I, I've, it's funny, you know, last year was the best running year of my life. And then this year has just been decimated. Like, you know, I've, I've always, always been injury prone. I, I got injured on December 31st, uh, and have just not been healthy all year. And the, the injury I'm dealing with, it affects how fast I can run more than how much I can run. Mm. Uh, so I'm just like trying to find ways to stay motivated to keep at it. And so trying to hit 100 miles is, um, you know, it's just, it, um, yeah, it's funny, like, because as soon as I put out that tweet, I, I tweet the groin again. And now I'm, <laughs> I'm actually, I've run like four days now. Oh, no. <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> yeah, I was, it's funny. I was just talking to uh, Simon Marshall earlier today, the guy that wrote The Brave Athlete, and we talked about the, the injury prone and how to mentally deal with that. So yeah, I've been talking about that all day. But en enough of that. Should we, should we dive in here? I mean, that's all good, yeah. But I yeah. mean, that's maybe even a segue. Like, do you feel, <laughs> you know, in your own experience based off of that, you know, it, it, obviously you're more like 100 to zero for rather than 80 to 20. But do you feel like as far as injury risk, that's, you know, something that in the past, maybe you've done more of like more intensity than the, the sort of 20%. And then that's where these injuries have come from. Or do you think it's aging or, or it's none of the above? It's, you know, some people are just injury prone, you know, but you know, it, it's really a form of talent, uh, durability. <laughs> it is durability is talent. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's a huge part of the recipe for success in endurance sports. You know, you can be natural speed is a talent, a naturally high aerobic capacity is a talent. Trainability is a talent. All these things are genetically rooted, uh, rooted. And so is durability. Now anyone can go and do stupid things, but there are some people who do stupid things in their training and just don't get hurt. Mm -hmm. And then there are people like me who if I just, if I just utter the words plantar fasciitis, I get it, you know, uh, and so, yeah, when I was younger, I, I wasn't any more injury prone. I'm, I'm no more or less injury prone now, but I did do some stupid things. But, you know, I'm not a stupid person. So I, I kind of <laughs> I, I quickly figured out, OK, I'm not going to do that again. And even when I stopped doing any of the stupid stuff, I still got hurt all the time. So it's just, you know, I've it's just the body I was given. And, you know, I, when I'm healthy, it's because I'm lucky. You know, it's just I. I get on a lucky, I, I, I know what to do. I know all the things I can control and I control the controllables. But um, like last year, I was it was a relatively healthy year and I can't point to anything, anything at all. It's like, oh, here's my formula going forward. I just, it was a lucky year, unfortunately. That's just. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I, I think we don't actually think about the injury proneness in terms of that stuff. But yeah, if I think about it, I'm like, okay, that guy's naturally talented. So wouldn't it make sense that someone would be naturally more injury prone than others? Yeah. Well, and, and I, then like, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I, I actually have been, I think probably my only talent, like I, I always describe myself as pretty <laughs> moderately talented as far as cycling, especially, but is I think I just can continue, you know, oozing blood and, you know, cut everywhere and just keep going. And then it doesn't really affect me, but I, think <laughs> it, it, I don't know if that's the recipe for it, it elite affects performance. It our laundry either. habits. It but... does. But 
but it is. I, I always list that as sort of my only talent or skill is is just that. And you know, oh. I never even when I have like tension or pain or people have IT band and all this stuff. Like I think it just is below. I don't know if it's below my level of consciousness or I'm lucky yeah. or whatever. <clears throat> but yeah, I don't know. Uh, oh, I, en- I envy you. Yeah, right? <laughs> well, again, it's it makes for moderate performance, I think, but at least I can show up at most things. So. Yeah. All right, so we're talking today about the 80-20 triathlon book that you have. It comes out in September, right? September 18th, I believe? Yeah, that's the uh, official release date. Very exciting. So you've written on 80-20 before. So I guess for people who aren't familiar with that concept, can you give us kind of the cliff notes of 80-20? Yeah, so there's some confusion because there's an 80, you know, people who are in the business world are familiar with an 80-20 rule. Um, This is a different one. (laughs) It, uh, (laughs) it, It comes from the work of an exercise physiologist named Steven Seiler. It was an American based in Norway. Um, and he, uh, kind of a number of years ago now rigorously studied, uh, or quantified, uh, how elite endurance athletes train. And he found that across disciplines, uh, you know, runners, cyclists, triathletes, swimmers, uh, you name it, they all pretty much, uh, follow this approximate 80, 20 intensity breakdown where about 80% of their training is low intensity and, the other 20% is moderate to high intensity. Um, so that's an interesting pattern because it wasn't always that way. And of course, all of these individual endurance disciplines kind of evolved independently. So, um, you know, in, in biology, they have this uh, concept of uh, um, convergence where if nature is if there's an optimal solution to some problem that affects living species, it will tend to evolve uh, independently, like the, the so-called camera eye design that we have, uh, evolved independently, uh, several times, uh, in, on, on earth because it just works for sight. <laughs> um, and, and so the, you know, the idea is that you wouldn't see, uh, all of these sports converge on this 80, 20 breakdown unless it wasn't sort of the optimal way for endurance athletes to train. The obvious next question is, okay, if it works for elites, does it also work for recreational athletes? Um, and you know, people who are, you know, a less talented and and B training less. And there've been controlled studies, uh, done to answer that question. And, and they have shown that, yes, it, 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 uh, what works for the goose works for the gander as well. (laughs) Yeah, and it's very hard in this day and age, right? Because everyone's in, in cycling. At least there's Sufferfest and Zwift and all these things that I was just you know, thinking how popular like the high intensity interval training, CrossFitty, boot campy stuff is now too. Yeah, which is all built around that forty-five to an hour type, you know, window that most of us, I guess, have for training. Um, so what you're proposing though is that people might take those five workouts they have in a week and and do you know, only a portion of that time as intensity, but do it as harder than what they would maybe do in those 40 minute suffer fests. Yeah. So, you know, you know, it's an interesting question. I get this all the time. Like, okay, what's the minimum threshold, um, for, for training volume where the 80, 20 rule applies, you know, scientists haven't like looked for like, how low can you go? Like if you're training just (laughs) one, like one hour a week, is it still best to do 80, 20? I doubt it. Um, but there, you know, there was one study done with, uh, you know, club level, um, 
runners who they were running on average about 35 miles a week, which is not a ton, you know. Um, and you know, even they at that volume, uh, you know, that's less than an hour a day of running. Um, even they improved more on an 80-20 breakdown than they did with more intensity. Okay. Yeah, and we've had Marco Altini and we've had Steven Seiler on, but Marco did a sort of experiment on himself. He's from an HRV app, HRV for training, and yep. he, he did, I don't know if you've read his article, but yes, um, sort of an N equals one on his marathon running and just running generally, um, and that's what he found. He always sort of was running at this moderate pace, and then he had to slow way, way down, and he had great success with that. Yeah. Now, is the so I've also heard of the eighty twenty rule in terms of nutrition, right? Like that's a pretty common one that gets tossed around. Where like you eat eighty percent, well, you kind of have this twenty percent to play with. And I mean, I've heard like eighty five, fifteen, and that kind of stuff. So, right. do you think that kind of came from like a similar, I guess, background, or is that just totally? random and separate and it just happens to get brought up in sports nutrition sometimes too yeah it's it's conceptually very different because on the diet side you know what what the 80 20 rule there really is saying is that there's such a thing as good enough with your diet like the the difference between you know good enough and perfect is um it's not worth worrying about Mm -hmm. (laughs) with diet Whereas the 80-20 rule in endurance training is saying this is the optimal way to train. Like if you if you if you want to not waste your time, <laughs> yeah. you know, take however much time you're willing to invest in the sport. Like if you want to get the best use out of it, um, so it, you know, it, it's really not permission to to waste some of your time. It's really you know just a a, a way a rule for avoiding wasting your training time as as an athlete. We got to figure out some kind of like acronym for the different versions of 80-20 and business yeah. and food and training. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you, you've had 80-20, you've had an 80-20 book out on running. So why come out with one on triathlon now? Yeah, well, I mean, there was kind of a demand for it. Yeah. Like, you know, I started with running. Um, you know, I, I'm a runner slash triathlete myself uh, and... Uh, but you know, I was a little more in the running world in, in recent years and there are a lot more runners. So I guess it kind of made sense to, to start there. But once that book was out, you know, there are also a lot of triathletes out there who would ask, you know, does it apply? Can you make an 80, 20 triathlon plan for me? So, you know, as a writer, I, I don't like to tread familiar ground too much, but I knew that I knew I was going to have to do a follow-up. Part of yeah. the reason I, ch- I chose a co-author for this one, David Warden, is that, um, I, I was having trouble getting excited to to do another spin, uh, <laughs> and it, just you know from a creative side because yeah, I, yeah. I, I'm always like full of ideas, and you can only write well two books at a time if you're me. <laughs> so, so you know, I was always you know putting it off. I thought, well, what will get me excited about this is bringing in some fresh blood. And uh, David Warden is a, uh, a Utah-based triathlon coach um, who I, I partnered with to create. Um, online 8020 uh, training plans that are sold through training peaks and, and final surge and he's really complimentary to me David uh, he's um, I'm more of kind of the free spirit and he's like the master of the spreadsheet um, so 
So we, we, we made a good team in terms of partnering on these training plans. So I proposed, you know, why don't you, you want to collaborate on an 80-20 triathlon book? He was all for it. So that really made, that got me excited about doing it. And then I'm really glad we did. It's just, it's a different book than it would be if I did it all my own. And it, and it actually does feel very fresh. You know, I just went through like, a, you know, final, final edits, just trying to see if there's any embarrassing random typos in there. And I'm really proud of how it turned out. It's, it's just not, it, it does not feel just from my own perspective as an author, like I, it's, a rehashing of, of, you know, same burger, different wrapper. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not, <laughs> not that at all. Yeah. I'm actually pretty sad that this book didn't come out a year, well, a year and a bit ago when we were training for Iron Man. This would have been very useful. So yeah, well, that's the pressure I was feeling people like you saying like, yeah, come on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Well, and it's interesting, definitely for the swimming portion, um, like I basically had to learn how to swim in a year. Um, so that would be two Julys ago, I guess now. Yeah. Um, through till, I guess, the end of July last year um, was when we raced Ironman Canada. Um, and so that's what I definitely found. Like it was sort of just getting enough conditioning up that I could swim the duration of time and then just a little bit of speed, like so that I got used to moving, you know, turning over fast enough. And I found that that like race pace TT type effort was just, I don't know. I found it awkward. I think maybe as a non-swimmer even more so, but it was sort of like the pace I could actually maintain and then building that endurance, I guess. And then just like well past what, you know, your fifties and your hundreds basically for me. Um, you know, and maintaining that form at that high turnover and high speed. And I found that that sort of just kept raising that comfortable pace um, and worked really well. Yeah. Yeah. The thing, the thing that's so annoying about swimming for those of us who come to triathlon from backgrounds in either cycling or running is just how technique intensive it is. You know, you'll, you'll go to the pool, you know, cause you know, if you if you're an experienced cyclist or an experienced runner who gets into triathlon, you feel like, hey, I'm a fit guy. You know, I'm I'm in shape. And then you go to the pool, and some you know middle aged guy with a big big old belly hanging out over his trunks dives in the pool and just schools you <laughs> because yep. because he's super every efficient. <laughs> yeah, every and the grandmothers are in the next lane over, just like somehow beating him, and yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we actually should have gotten my dad in the pool with you, Peter. It would have been a good time. Yeah, he he was he would have crushed that you. type of person for sure. Um, <laughs> it's okay. He doesn't listen to this, so I can say that and he won't get, he won't get that. Um, so, so do you feel like then that fits um, the the sport of swimming then better or or more so than even you know running or I mean I don't even know if that's the question I want to ask, but with the technique limiter that a lot of triathletes would have in swimming, um, did you feel like it lent itself well to the eighty twenty? Yeah, well, I mean, you know what, you know what the research has shown is that if you just look at um, swimmers, you know, competitive swimmers, they the the elite, the elite level ones, they too are doing the eighty twenty thing, and they're they're doing it because it also works there too. So in terms of you know building fitness in the water that's how you want to do it the mistake that you that even you know i made in my first couple of years in the sport um is thinking that just getting fit in the water is going to do the job 
Um, you know, I, I was, I really struggled. I, I put a lot of effort into swimming, uh, in the early part of my, my triathlon career and just didn't feel like I was getting out what I was putting in. And then I went, uh, and hired a, a swim coach to, you know, videotape me and, and analyze my technique and make some, uh, adjustments. And I, I swear I, I improved more in the next week after that one session than I had in three years up, up to that point. And that, <laughs> that was pretty eye-opening because I had the fitness, it was all there, but I just wasn't going to get any better until I got more efficient. Uh, so, you know, you, you want to train the right way. You want to build fitness in swimming the right, the right way, but you don't want to put it all on that. You really want uh, to focus on technique as well. Right. Yeah, I was actually going to ask with swimming, and I mean, this might be giving away a little bit of the stuff that's in the book here, but I mean, for me, swimming is always kind of hard to to gauge, I guess, intensity. And I mean, I think most people would tend to maybe do too much intensity in the pool kind of by nature because everyone goes in with like their swim sets and very little of it is just swim at a reasonable endurance pace. Um, So... How do you apply the 80-20 rule to swimming once you've kind of got the technique down? Yeah. Um, well, you know, if you it, – it, it's just a matter of, um, you know, it's the same process in, in swimming and cycling and, and running. You you want to plan appropriately. You know, if you just wing it, you know, you're, you'll probably end up in that moderate intensity rut. So you want to, you know, plan 80-20 – weeks of swimming it's okay if one individual workout is more intensive than that but you know over the long term you know you need to plan your training in such a way that it adheres to that rule obviously that applies that requires a little effort you know we have hence the book you know we have entire uh, training plans in there you know pre-built that you can just follow where we did the math for you we also have for the individual workouts, we uh, we supply intensity breakdowns for them, so it makes it a lot easier to make your own, uh, you know, training weeks just using the plans as building blocks. Because we've done at least you know part of the math for you in those cases. So planning is the first step, and then you have to somehow there must be some way of monitoring so that you also execute. Um, you know, heart rate doesn't work too well in the pool, but you know if you do like a, a simple fitness test. To establish, you know what what your appropriate um, what what low intensity means for you in terms of pace in the water, and and moderate and high. Um, then when you actually do your workouts, you can make sure that you are pacing yourself in the right way so that you're actually executing eighty twenty in addition to merely planning it. Right. So this is my other question about swimming too, though. Um, I mean, cycling and running, it's really easy to soft pedal. It's really easy to, you know, slow to a slow jog or a walk if you have to and still be kind of doing that sport. What do you do in swimming to, like, drop the intensity down if, you know, just doing generic freestyle is, you know, killing you and you've already slowed down as much as you can? Because a lot of beginner swimmers have that issue, right? Yes. Yeah, that's the thing. Um, you know, the... the you do have that in all three disciplines, you know, for, for running, um, you know, so, so there, there are certain barriers to actually doing the 80, 20 thing or actually doing something at low intensity when yeah. you, when you intend to in running, it's the walk run transition. So I hear from slower runners all the time and they say, 
you know, guess what? As soon as I transition from walking to running, I'm already close to moderate intensity just because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm older, I'm overweight, you know, I'm just not, you know, a super gifted runner or whatever. So that's a barrier in running in, in cycling. It's hills. I'll hear from people who live in hilly areas. It's just like, mm-hmm. there, there's no such thing as slow enough. Yeah. To stay <laughs> and, then, and then in, in swimming, it's, it's the fact that, um, you know, less, you know, it's a different thing, but you know, less experienced swimmers and sometimes less fit swimmers, uh, tend to have poor techniques so that you're using more energy to go at any given they're like, you know, barges instead of torpedoes. This was my issue. You know, even you know, even though I had high level fitness when I started swimming, I would still struggle to keep my intensity down just because I was so inefficient. Um, and you just have to you you, you kind of just have to do do the best you can. You can mix in alternative strokes. Um uh you know, and you also, that's an, all the more reason to focus on, you know, developing your, your technique and getting more efficient because the, the more efficient you get, the lower your physiological intensity will be at any given swim pace. Um, so it's just, you know, there's, you know, there's a learning curve. There's a little bit of bootstrapping you have to do to, you know, get over that initial hump. Um, yeah. Yeah. And that might be, you know, something where someone's treading water or, you know, floating to, to sort of recover a bit or you know, if, if they're that, if it's so hard that you need to take a recovery, then it might be, they just might have to sit there for 10, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, right? To, yeah. And then eventually the goal is to have that continuous training. Right. Um, I don't, do you have anything else on swimming? Um, I'm actually just really bad at during the 20% intensity part. I would just keep everything I did at a hundred percent endurance pace. Peter's seen me just swim uh-huh. for like an hour and a half. Uh, any tips on how to make yourself actually start doing the hard work? Yeah. I mean, that, that's where it's really, you know, the, it's one thing to put in physical effort to your training and it's another to put in mental effort and there's nothing wrong with offloading the mental part (laughs) to the degree you can. So, you know, getting workouts from some other source, um, you know, it it could be my, my book. Um, they had this thing, I forget what it's called. I used to use it a while back. It was, but it was just like, uh, it was like this, um, waterproof, uh, like three ring binder, it was like spiral bound uh, book where it was just, it was just full of swim workouts. So you could just take it to the pool and kind of pick one. Mm. Um, and you know, they include structure and variation and intensity. And so there you don't have to put a lot of thought into, you, you know, you just someone does the planning part for you. You just have to go out and, and do, do the intervals. Um, so, I mean, but you can get pretty close to the mountaintop, you know, fitness wise by doing a, a whole ton of low intensity training. You just can't get all the way there. So it, it just depends how much it matters to you. Like, you know, I, I remember interviewing a, a professional triathlete a while back who came from a swimming background and she was just a killer swimmer. Um, so, and she just didn't feel like doing, she, she wanted to do what you do. Uh, so she would just go in the pool and swim laps. And, and this is, you know, this was a, a top professional, uh, triathlete and it worked just fine because she was just so damn good. She, you know, she needed to keep going to, into the water. But so, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying go ahead and do that. I'm saying like you can get pretty darn fit. Just it, it, the volume has to be high if you're never going to go hard. Um, but if you, if you want to get, you know, absolutely the most benefit you can from whatever your, your weekly yardage is going to be, 
then yeah, you have to start doing those uh, intervals. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> hey guys, we're just gonna interrupt you for a second to talk again about the Wide Angle Podium Donor Drive. So for those of you who don't know, Wide Angle Podium is the network that our podcast is on. Uh, along with other awesome cycling-related podcasts like CX Hairs, Slow Ride Podcast, We Got to Hang Out, The Honest Bicycle, tons of other really cool ones. Uh, and the network is sort of what allows us to, you know, keep upgrading our audio equipment, keep putting out new episodes, um, you know, hosting and all that kind of stuff is not free or cheap. So, you know, it really takes a, a village to have this this kind of podcast going out every single week. Yeah, and the way I like to describe it is, you know, we used to all pay for our cable channels, we used to all pay for all these crazy things, and you know, everything gets sort of cheaper, but it also gets more, you know, specific. So you can now get the exact content. Hopefully, you know, we're providing content. You're listening, so thank you for that. Uh, but you're getting, you know, the content that you want. It's very specific to, you know, the cycling you like or the the sporting you like. Um, we're not getting, you know, really any commercials that are stupid and for, you know, odd companies that you don't support. So It's true. So anyway, this month we have our Wide Angle Podium Donor Drive going on. It's just going on through the end of August. Um, and any new donors get a ton of rad bonus content. Um, I can say it's rad because I made a lot of it. So these are like downloadable documents. There's some extra episodes with some really cool people. There's some longer like added content that are from some of the... Uh, episodes we have done. Mm-hmm. Can you give people any teasers on those? Yeah, actually, we have uh, one of my favorite people talking about nutrition, Matt Fitzgerald. Oh, so some, we got some extra nutrition stuff. Extra nutrition. So you're gonna stuff. get faster. Yep, extra Healthier. sports. Yeah, and you're gonna get smarter too because we have Simon Marshall talking about um, some, some sports, sports psychology. And he was really well received. He's a great guest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then during the donor drive, you also have access to things. There's some T-shirts. There's some pans. Some stickers. Some some really cool stuff like that. And basically, you can donate on a sort of recurring thing, like, again, like you do with your iTunes or your cable package or whatever you're paying for monthly. Uh, and that's at a vi- lots of different levels, obviously. Uh, and you can also just do a, a one-time sort of annual or, or one-time lump sum as well. Cool. All right. Again, that's wideanglepodium.com slash donate. Uh, any and all contributions would be greatly appreciated. And if you're already a donor, thank you so much for supporting the show. And with that said, let's get back to it. Um, so from there, I guess it, it sort of begs the question with that 80, 20, then how, how are we defining this, you know, the, the above and below, like, are you of the opinion that it's sort of one line that we're either above or below, or is it sort of the three zone system that, uh, Siler uses or, or where are you at on that, uh, in terms of this book and, and maybe even for the three sports, if it's different. Yeah. I mean, I, I take my cue from, from Steven Seiler in that regard. You know, there are a lot of ways to define intensity, uh, but what um, Seiler found, and there's other uh, research that, you know, tangentially supports it, is the, that the crucial threshold is um, this uh, ventilatory threshold. It's So the idea is that if you start exercising at a very low intensity and, you know, gradually ratchet it up, uh, there's a, a point uh, an intensity at which uh, there, there will be a, uh, an abrupt spike in your breathing rate. So at first, you know, your breathing rate's increasing, you know, in kind of a linear fashion, slowly, linearly. And then there will be uh, 
you know, an uptick in, in, in the, in the curve. And that's your ventilatory threshold. Um, it's close to the better known lactate threshold, typically a little bit lower. Um, and why that is crucial is that it, it appears like, you know, when you cross that threshold, um, you, your brain, um, start has to, it's just, it's, it's kind of like flipping a switch where your, your brain starts uh, recruiting a lot more type two muscle fibers, fast twitch muscle fibers, and the reason that's consequential is that you, you're suddenly, very abruptly, you know, it is, it is a threshold. You're, you're challenging your nervous system, your autonomic nervous system more than you are at any lower intensity. So just below the threshold is one thing, just above it is crucially another thing. So it's not that being above that threshold is bad, it's just it's more stressful and the time it takes to recover from training again even just slightly above that threshold which is not a high intensity it's a moderate in intensity uh, it takes a lot longer to recover and you can't handle nearly as much of it you can't benefit from as much of it um, so that's the threshold you know really you know you, you want to in terms of like opti truly optimizing your training you want to target your speed or pace or intensity to the specific structure of um each workout. So, you know, for me in, in running, there are times when I would want to you know, run 545 per mile and not 550 and not 540. You know what I mean? You want to dial it in that much, but, you know, stepping you know back from that sort of precision, you know, the, if, if there's only one thing you want to pay attention to, it's that ventilatory threshold and just make sure you're below it 80, 80% of the time. Now, to cross-reference that then for someone, you know, maybe swimming or running with pace, like that's like generally that endurance pace or that 80% pace is going to be, you know, something that you can do for like well over an hour. Would, would you agree with that? Or like, you know, marathon pace and under type thing? Or is there any sort of linear lines we can draw in that sense? Or does it depend on what kind of race you're training for? No, I mean, it's, 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 yeah. <laughs> It's physiology, so you know it's 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 in, you know the, the threshold is the threshold regardless of what you're you're training for. Obviously, it's it'll move as your fitness level changes, but it, you know because it is typically in the in the typical athlete a little bit below the lactate threshold. Um, you know the typical trained endurance athlete can sustain their lactate threshold pace for about an hour, fifty five minutes to an hour. So your ventilatory threshold, you could sustain longer than that, but not a ton longer than that. So that that's what you're looking at, you know, maybe like an, an 80 minute sustainable effort, that type of thing. Right. Um, and I think you throw like the number sort of 75% max heart rate might be another sort of rough if we're just trying to sort of paint rough ways that you might sort of isolate this, this line we're trying to stay underneath 75% yeah. max heart rate might be another approximation there. Yeah, I think uh, 77 is the number, I guess. But I mean, you know, right. horseshoes and hand grenades. Well, it's it's not 90%, yeah. I think, is the, the right. base. The, the <laughs> right, um, yes. And, and now what about on the flip side? Like if, if I'm doing a lot of my, you know, endurance running or riding at 65%, is that still, like, that's still fine? Or, you know, does it, I guess it depends on time of year and stuff like that too. But that, that would definitely put it in that 80% bucket, right? Yes. Um, yeah. So the, you know, I find myself telling athletes all the time because really it's tough to get people. I mean, 
it hasn't been said in this interview yet, but it, it's worth saying that almost everyone does it wrong. Like almost almost everyone who trains as an endurance athlete is stuck in you know this this moderate intensity rut where they're actually at moderate intensity. They're actually above the ventilatory threshold when they think they're doing their their easy training. Uh, so wait, a minute, I forgot what the question was. Uh, knowing me there probably wasn't one but it was essentially uh, essentially like there's a zone so there's endurance zone so zone ones and two maybe for some people depending on how they're describing their intensity it's okay to be at 65 percent of max right you know yes the the question i was answering was is there such a thing as too slow so because almost everyone is making this mistake i I tend to be putting the brakes on people and and so i will say to them there's no such thing as too slow well, there is such a thing as too slow, <laughs> but it's it's effective messaging. But yeah, um, you, you're pretty much not going to build any fitness unless you're above uh, about sixty percent of your maximum heart rate. Right. Um, and, and you know, so you've got this room to play with, like sixty to seventy-seven percent. And one might think, oh, well, if I if you know, if that's the range, then don't I want to be close to the 77% as much as possible? And the answer to that question is no, not necessarily. Um, I think that as long as you're below that threshold, the the physiological adaptations you're going to get from, you know, spending time there are more or less the same. And then I I think it, um, it's, it's important to, on any given day, to choose your specific spot within the, the, the low intensity range, just based on, how far you're going to be out, how long you're going to be out there, um, how you're feeling. You know, if you're, if you're tired from yesterday's interval workout and you just feel like crap at, you know, 75%, you know, then you're going to do more benefit. Uh, you're going to get more benefit by just dialing it back. Um, so yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of individual variation, but definitely people often, like you say, will go out and ride the limit rather than the range. Um, you know, and they get to a hill, so then they blow over the limit and then the other, like, these are all physiological like estimates, right? Like I'm saying 75 and you're saying 77. And then on one day, you know, for one person, it could be 79 or or whatever. So my thought was always, you know, why not leave a little bit of room there just so we're not dipping into that next zone or that middle ground or, or whatever, right. And save that extra effort and extra mental effort for that 20% day, the intensity day. Yeah. I have a I have a post that I wrote on my 8020 endurance blog. I think the title of the post is something like uh why your easy run pace should vary wildly from day to day. <laughs> and it's right. it's precisely on on this issue. And this is a where, runner like an often runner. All cyclists are bad with well, I guess all three are bad. Yeah. Yeah, so you have your pace in swimming, your 200 watts in cycling for right. endurance every right. day for every single athlete. 200 watts is endurance. Uh, right. What? Yeah, every single athlete. I would yeah. like to uh, have a talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> so anyhow, sorry, your post. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So I just you know I think you know because um, y- you know w- when you're trying to train well, you know you- you're trying to make predictions. It's like well, um, you know here's here's you know just we'll go with runners just to make it simple again. Like here's the here's the number of miles that that I want to run and you know, here are my workout days and then you kind of just, but these things are all predictions, you know, like I think this is the right number of miles. Like I think this is the the intensity I can handle. And then you just go do it. And invariably it it doesn't matter how experienced or how knowledgeable you are. 
you're you're going to get some surprises in the training process and the most frequent surprise you get is just feeling great on some days when you expected not to or didn't expect to and feeling lousy on days um when you didn't necessarily expect that and so I think part of getting the most out of your training is being responsive to how you feel. You know, there, there are people who just want to make, they want to re- reduce everything to a formula. And I realize the title of my book is a formula. But <laughs> 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 it's not all about that. You know, like you really have to sort of how you feel is, is crucial information. So, you know, I, I tell people like when you're out there doing, you know, an easy run or an easy ride or even, you know, a long run or ride or swim that's supposed to be at low intensity, listen to how you feel and and you should be comfortable. Like that's, those are days where it just, you know, you know, step back from the numbers a bit and just adjust your effort so that you feel good. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think if you do that consistently, uh, you're going to get more out of the, the training process. Yeah, and Molly and I were just talking about this the other day. Like, I my favorite part of training is is going on long rides and runs and just having conversations with people for, you know, hours. And Molly was saying how she's not had as much of those experiences. I have with running. It's harder with cycling to find. Yeah, which is maybe an ability base, not ability, but like once you can go quickly and there's not a, be. There's going. A I, I don't know. I'm digging myself. Right I'm digging yeah. myself a hole, but. <laughs> Um, but I think a lot of people are missing that experience because every single ride they're smashing each other or themselves right. on their own in the basement or something, um, you know, and not getting that just like low, as you say, I think your mental, uh, energy or mental sort of fatigue part of it, you know, just get on pedal lightly. And then yeah. what are you going to be like when you come back for those Tuesday intervals or, or whatever day? Right. Um, so we've just been talking about what I think you refer to as uh, intensity blindness, um, but there are some other barriers to you know being able to do the eighty twenty training method. So I was wondering if you could maybe chat about one or two of your your favorites of those. Like yeah, yeah. habits, stumbling blocks. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because when uh, when I was planning this book, um, you know, in some ways it was like a second shot at the first one. Um, and so I thought about, you know, okay, what are, what are things that I want to do differently or hit, um, you know, to sort of dig deeper with. And one of them was this, was this concept of, um, barriers. It's like, like, why don't people, um, follow the 80, 20 rule. And so what I, I, I started to regret, so I, I said, I'm going to do a chapter where I just list these barriers. Cause I felt, you know, it's helpful if you, if you, if you see them before you go and make all the mistakes. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I thought there are so many of them, this could be demoralizing to people. <laughs> Cause oh, I came up with, I came up with, with eight, you know, sort of eight things that obstacles that are standing in the way of like actually doing this. Um, we've touched on a, a couple of them already. Um, one that I think it's, you know, people would recognize in, in this day and age is, um, like the ego factor, which, uh, you know, things like Strava or playing into when it's one thing to be, you know, out on the road and you get passed by another cyclist and you kind of hate that a little bit. But when everyone's sort of posting their data and like and sharing it and everyone can see it and it's all suddenly you're just being ranked, you know, all across the world. It was just like, hey, I just went out for an hour ride. (laughs) It's like, what? 
how did I lose? I feel like I lost the race. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, we all, you know, it is a sport. We're all competitive. And, and so that is a factor that um, pushes us to, to keep, to stay, basically stay in the moderate intensity rut, uh, the, the ego factor. Um, uh, another one is just, um, it's counterintuitive. Uh, so the buy-in is tough. I deal with this with the athletes I coach. Um, all the time. It's just, it's hard to get people to believe in their bones <laughs> that slowing down can make them faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that, that's a big one. There's a, there, there's a, a quote I include in, in this chapter from, uh, a legendary, uh, Czech runner from back in the middle of the last century. Um, and he said, you know, why should I train slow to get fast? I know how to run slow. <laughs> And, and that, that is intuitive, right? It's like, well, you know, you, the idea I mean, when you race is to go as fast as you can. So, like, why shouldn't I push it in training all the time? It's like that makes a lot more sense than the idea of having to hold yourself back. And yet, uh, ultimately, you want to do what actually works, whether it's intuitive or not. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I also wanted to talk about, so you have all different training plans for different lengths of race from sprint to Ironman. How does the whole 80-20 training thing differ between the different, dis- or, I mean, length of discipline, I guess? Right, yeah. So, you know, getting back to this notion of intuitive and counterintuitive, you, you might think, you know, like a, a sprint triathlon is for, you know, for, for Joe triathlete, maybe an hour and 15-minute race, and an Ironman is a 12-hour race. So you might think, well, 80-20 can't apply to both, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, one of them is, the race is a lot longer and it's a lot lower intensity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but, uh, the way, so you don't want to train exactly the same way. You do, however, want to train 80-20 for both. It's just that if you're training for a sprint, more of, more of that 20% should be high intensity versus moderate. Uh, because the the twenty and eighty twenty encompasses both moderate and high. It's everything except low. Whereas in an iron an Ironman training, uh, it's still twenty percent, and because you're probably doing higher volume, it's more time uh, above low intensity. But you want a greater portion of that twenty percent to actually be at a at moderate versus high intensity. So that's that's how you sort of adapt the eighty twenty principle to different race distances yeah and i've seen a few studies and stuff come out now um and sort of surmise that maybe the the threshold is sort of like if you look at all these old journals and stuff and you look at them based on the race intensity the race pace uh, and sort of time under and over it uh, is another way to sort of look at that sort of threshold between the two Um, would you say that that sort of makes sense with what you're saying are you saying still um, the thresholds, like, I guess you're talking about a range of thresholds anyhow, but like, yeah, there's yeah. something to that idea, I guess that the, the Ironman threshold would be, um, lower, I guess. Well, not, not exactly a, because I mean, I think if you, if you took that approach, it could lead you to, um, to do kind of the opposite of what, what, what I was saying to actually, uh, you know, you know, 
in a in a sprint you're going you're going to be you could have zero percent low intensity in a sprint i mean the whole thing you're moderate to high right um so that could that could lead you down the wrong path <laughs> you know to look at that you, you want to do 80 20 for both and um, your ventilatory threshold is, is physiological. So it's not going to be different depending on, you know, you, you could sign up for a sprint and then change your mind the next day and sign up for an Ironman that doesn't change your ventilatory threshold. So, you know, that's, you want to be just because you change your mind and you're going to do a race that, you know, it's going to take five, six times longer to finish. Uh, you still want to do about 80% of your training below the ventilatory threshold. It's just if you're switching your focus to an Ironman, all of a sudden you're going to want to do more volume and uh, a greater fraction or a greater proportion of your non-low intensity time is going to be at moderate versus high intensity. Right. Okay. So it maybe lowers the top limit there if we, you know, if you think about the three zone system. Yeah, sense. it's just yeah. yeah, it's just you know, it, you know, if if you if you put it in the terms of the the specific zone system I I use, um, it's it's one two three four five with uh, gaps between uh, a couple of the pairs that that we now label X and Y. Um, so moderate intensity begins in the gap between zones two and three. Um, so X which is that first gap is sort of technically moderate intensity. You, you avoid it most of the time. Uh, three is moderate intensity, four and five are high. So if you're training for a sprint, uh, you're going to do a fair, you're going to want to do a fair amount of zone four and zone five. If you're training for an Ironman, you're going to do want to do less of zone four and five and more of zones X and three, which are moderate versus high. They're all above the ventilatory threshold. You're just, um, so that, that's really just to, I think that makes sense. I think overlaying them over the five zones that probably is helpful for people trying to sort of squeeze out what, what that's all about and how to decide. Okay. So from a super practical standpoint for measuring intensity in all three disciplines, what what is the best way to do it is it a heart rate for running is it power on the bike is it i i don't even know in swimming exertion. what's what's the ideal here they all have pros and cons i mean it's a it's a it's a big conversation yeah um you know uh, for example you know perceived exertion is the only one you can't shut off um and, and it seems so squishy right it's like well how do i measure that like there's the borg scale but that's subjective and so there's a you know especially the scientific minded types might dismiss it ah perceived exertion well guess what you race by perceived exertion (laughs) it gets the final say in how fast you can go you know it doesn't matter what your power zones are like if you can't do it on the day you can't do it and you can't do it because you don't feel like you can do it perceived effort so it's crucial and also for things like uh short intervals um where your heart rate's going to be climbing throughout, a, you know, a zone five, a one minute zone five interval, heart rate's useless because, but you know, even if you do the whole thing at a true zone five intensity, your your heart rate's not going to show that until the maybe the the very end. So in order to pace that effectively, you have you know, you well, it's really really helpful to be to be able to rely on perceived effort. So there's a place for all of these metrics. They all have pros and cons. The the, the major con with perceived exertion is 
the aforementioned uh, intensity blindness factor, where if I take the typical triathlete and say go out and run for 45 minutes at low intensity, they'll go out and run for 45 minutes at moderate intensity and tell me they did exactly yeah. what they said. So you, know, you need to calibrate perceived uh, exertion. On, on the bike, I love power. Um, you know, power is great. Not everyone can afford a power meter, um, but it's super useful. Um, I find that um, heart rate is it, it has lots of limitations, uh, but it, it, it tends to be more effective at holding athletes back um, because it's not a performance metric. You know, if you're going out and um, you know riding the bike and you know and you know what your normal wattage is, but you're just a little tired that day because it's a performance metric you're looking at. You're going to want to force it a little bit, right? It's like, oh, I'm having a bad day. I don't want to put up a bad number. Um, whereas heart rate, it's like, there's no good heart rate or bad heart rate, you right. know? So, um, so athletes who, who have, who really need to have the brakes put on them, um, heart rate is really useful for that. You know, pace, a lot of runners, people who, especially who grew up running like me, you just, you, you breathe pace, you know, just pace is the only thing that makes sense to a lot of, uh, people who come from running backgrounds, but it goes out the window on hills. Uh, you know, if you're, uh, you have to make adjustments for heat, altitude, all kinds of things. So it's it's best. You know, that's why we go into some depth in the book, just saying like spelling them out. Like here's the pros, here are the cons, here are the you know, limitations, here are the best uses. Um, and it's you know usually best to you know kind of rely on on a, on a mix. Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Where can everyone find you? Where can everyone get all of your books? Pimp yourself out. Yeah. So my personal website is mattfitzgerald.org. Um, and then I, I referenced earlier uh, my 8020 Endurance website, which has a ton of resources related to that, that whole concept for, for runners and triathletes. And that's 8020endurance.com. Awesome. And then you're Matt Fit Writer on Twitter, too. Yes. Awesome. Well, as always, Matt, it was a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat, and I'm very excited about this new book. Hey, guys, before you take off, we just wanted to jump on here and talk a little bit about the Wide Angle Podium donor drive that's going on this August. So Wide Angle Podium is a member-supported network. They have tons of awesome shows, you know, in addition to us, obviously. We have the Slow Ride podcast. There's uh, Crosshairs. Uh, so many other really cool cycling-specific podcasts. I think we might be the only non-cycling-specific one on the network, so it's pretty rad that they let us, you know, hang out with them. Yeah, it's definitely a conglomerate. <laughs> that makes it sound like they're in some kind of, like, skyscraper building. And No, in, in fact, it's quite different. It's all just regular people who are talking and trying to get, you know, people like Katie Compton or we just had Chris McDougal today that you just listened to. And it's, it's you know, bringing this content that hopefully is, you know, very near and dear to your heart, you know, whether you're a cyclist or something like that. It's, it's very specific, right? And that's this day and age, you know, we're not paying... NBC for our cable package. I mean, you've cut the cord. You're not paying for cable anymore. Who does that? So it's really now, you know, you pay maybe Apple for your your $10 Apple Music and then you... uh, you Netflix? Maybe you're Netflixing and chilling. I don't know what you choose to do with your own time, but that, that would be an option. 
And then, you know, maybe some YouTube in there. And then you got your wide angle podium, right? So you're getting your podcast and it's a very specific show, right? There's no more channel surfing. You know that these, you know, five five different shows maybe you listen to as a cyclist or, you know, maybe you listen to us for sort of this all around stuff. And then maybe you have like a another show that you listen to that's about something else like dogs or something. But slowly our show is merging into a dog show. I was going to say... Anyway, though, uh, if you end up supporting Wide Angle Podium, which you can do if you go to wideanglepodium.com slash donate, uh, you not only get to help out shows like ours, you also get some sick bonus content. We actually put a lot of time this summer into recording a couple of bonus episodes with some pretty high-level people about some pretty cool topics. Uh, We put together a couple handouts and PDFs as well, so you get bonus content from us as well as from all of the other podcasts. So really, really, it should be a stuff. lot, right? Like yeah. we, we we put in three or something. Is that what uh, it was? This year we have three, three episodes. But there's a I imagine all the older stuff is in there too, and there was some really good stuff from last year and the year before too. Yep, and yeah, like I said, a couple new handouts with some some of the stuff that we talk about on the show, kind of put into here's like an easy way to put this stuff into practice. Uh, so yeah, it's it's really great if you can help support us and the network. We will be forever grateful. You will be our best friends. Cross is coming, so you're probably going to see us at some races. So how great would it be to get to come up and be like, hey, I support your show. I would give you some stickers then, probably some some Shred Girls swag. If you I was wondering what that. you were going to offer on top. I'm like, hey, be careful. What if this goes really well? I'll buy you lunch if you're like one of the highest donors. Beers for everyone. Molly Herford. <laughs> you know what? If you... If you support the show with over twenty bucks a month, I will buy you a beer at the next cross race. I mean, I think if there's no problem, I think at any at any level, they still have to find you, right? So what what are the chances that this is going to backfire? Uh, I feel like at Gloucester, I'm going to lose a lot of money. Yeah, but how much does a beer actually cost? I mean, at Gloucester, (laughs) if someone gives to you and you give back, and then you have a beer, I feel like that's that was like meant to happen. That's a I will spend on that beer. That's it. I'm offering the okay, beer now. Okay, there we go. If you donate, screenshot the email or screenshot the email that says you're donating. Find one of us at a cross race, and we will buy you a beer. You don't think Done. we can do this on less board? Like we'll just trust them? No, I want a screenshot. Oh, and they're gonna have to bring a piece of paper too. No, just just their phone. Oh, screenshot. Yeah, the email. I guess I guess you can do that now. You've cut the cord. You got into the cloud. Come on, I'm just saying. All right, do that. We'll buy you a beer. You'll make our day. Anyway, so wideanglepodium.com. Bonus content. We got bonus content. <laughs> All right. I, you know, I'm really wondering. I want to know what the bonus content is for, like, the crosshairs. And they probably have some really good stuff. Because this last episode they just did, we talked about that last show. I thought that was, like, one of the best things I've ever listened to. Well, now Peter you're giving Sagan. it away for free. No, no, no. This is just the show they did. Um, but they had Peter... Did it, was no, it? they didn't. I made up Peter Sagan. That was just hype. <laughs> but I mean, obviously they have Peter Sagan as the bonus content. I mean, maybe I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I'm not promising that. That's not my show. But who did they have on that was amazing? And I was excited they had about Matthew Vanderpool. I mean, that's just like Peter Sagan. Okay. Although Peter, they also developed hype, I think, around the fact that Peter Sagan doesn't know who Vanderpool is or something. You're getting really into the weeds here, dear. Yeah. Anyway. Filibuster. <laughs> Wideanglepodium.com/slash/donate. Do it and we'll buy you a beer. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. 
Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out wideanglepodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. And it really helps us out. Thanks so much, and we will see you next week. <laughs>